I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 4, two verses, but I will be backtracking in our minds and spirits to Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. And since I brought a version, it's the Amplified, what do we have up there? That's probably the NIV. We'll read that one. So I'm going to stand here and watch it, and will you read it in your mind with me? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Later in the chapter, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Would you pray with me that God would bless the word to our hearts today? There's value, great value in corporate prayer. So would you join with me and ask God to bless his word to our hearts? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together today in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege We thank you, Lord, for the honor of standing in this place to deliver the word of God. And I pray that you would bless our hearts with your presence in a very special way. Make this a profitable time to us spiritually, O God. And as our hearts blend together now in the request of your Holy Spirit to be our guide and our teacher, would you give your speaker, the anointing that is needed? And would you open our hearts to be receptive to truth as you deliver it to our hearts? And most of all, would you receive honor and glory? For it is in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Two or three days, four days, six days, Eight days, nine days, nothing had happened. Oh, there was a lot happening. But according to the second chapter of Acts, these people had been gathered together in a room. I don't know how large it was. I hope it was sufficient to handle 120 people. But they had been praying, confessing, probably worshiping, interceding, perhaps snoozing, but all in waiting until something happened. What it would be, they did not know for sure. But they just knew that they needed to do what the Lord had told them to do. Go to Jerusalem. Wait until the Holy Spirit is poured out. Whatever that meant. And so finally on that tenth day, it happened. Maybe they should have expected it. Maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe they didn't know what to expect. Maybe they... Had an idea. But what did happen was a mighty demonstration of God's Holy Spirit took place. 
the scriptures tell us that something like cloven tongues of fire rested upon their bodies, uh, probably their heads. The scriptures tell us that there was a mighty wind that blew through that room. And the last thing that took place was, is that they left the room and went to the street. And in that moment, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. In that moment, people of God were transformed by the personal presence of the Holy Spirit coming to live within them. They had followed Jesus. Now they can't follow him, but they have him inside. And they know it. Go with me then to the third chapter, if you will. And you'll see that by this time they have hit the streets of Jerusalem. And we follow the lives of Peter and John. Peter and John have left. The, the upper room, I don't know the time span, it doesn't matter. But they are on their way at about three o'clock to the synagogue. What that means is, is that they are on the way to daily prayers. We would call it prayer meeting. We don't have prayer meetings as such, but we understand the concept. And on the way... The third chapter records that there is a man seated or sitting on the street. This man has been crippled from his birth. He's never known the joy of taking a step. He's never known the joy of running. He's never known the privilege of standing for anything. People have carried to him, carried him to his station. And he is placed there. And his role in life is to say, alms, do you have a gift? Can you help a man? And the scriptures say that he saw Peter and John coming. And I suspect that Peter and John, as they make their way, they may have known about this man. I don't know for sure, but they saw him. And, you know, one of the things in my inquiring mind is what was going on in Peter and John's minds. Bear with me. We'll get someplace here today. OK, I see you nodding off a little bit. <laughs> but. Peter and John had to have been thrilled in their spirit and wondering, what does this mean here on the street in this city? What does it mean to come out of that room after the great demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God coming upon these people that had gathered together? What does it mean? And their eyes meet. The lame man. And I don't think there had to be anything to be said between Peter and John. I suspect that these two men looked at each other as they made their way toward that man. And I think they were saying, yes, we know what to do. And as they met him, 
He says, can you help me? Can you help me with a gift? Can you give me something to help? Peter, probably being the one who spoke and being the most outspoken, says, well, silver and gold we don't have. And with that, the man's countenance falls. But there's that transition word, but. But, such as we do have, we're going to give it to you. And in harmony, Peter reaches down for one hand and John reaches down for another hand. And they speak these words in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Amen. And in that moment, all that had happened up in the upper room, as the King James calls it, was transferred down to the street. The church lives for an occasion and for times in that upper room where we meet with the Holy Spirit and where we meet with the presence of God. But there is that time when we go to the street and the same power that meets with the people of God in the sanctuary is to be delivered to the people on the street. Amen. Now, you look, if you look at this closely, and I'm sure you have, he's cured in body. Something new takes place. He begins to walk. Brand new event. Brand new activity. Brand new sensation. I can walk. But the scriptures go on to further say that he began leaping. Now here is something that I call more than enough. It's not enough to walk. God says, I want you to leap. And he gives him the power to leap. But not only is he changed in his body and cured in his body so that he can now walk, he can even run and leap. But something happens in his spirit and he begins to praise God. Total transformation. Now, you'll remember that Peter and John are on their way to the synagogue for three o'clock prayers. I think there was a new face in prayer meeting that day. I believe the man went with him, with them, and they began to worship God. And there's a transformation in the prayer meeting. You know, it's always transformational when there are new people in the house of God. Amen. When people get saved, when they are transformed by the grace and power of God, there's something exciting about it. Amen. And so there was that new face in the prayer meeting that day. Something new in his life. Something transformational so that it's more than enough. It's just not enough to shuffle your feet. It's something that God gave to him where he could press on and leap for joy in his body as well as in his spirit. But in the interior, there is that transformation of spiritual worship. It is never enough to see miracles 
of this, that, and the order, and the healing, and so forth. There has to be a transformation in the spirit. And there's where God makes the difference. And so, here they are. People, I can imagine, gather around the one-time beggar. They know who he is. And they're surprised, and they want to know what's going on. The beggar clings to Peter and John, who takes the initiative. Why do you stare at us as if we made him walk by any power? Or piety of ours. Peter then tells them that it was through the Christ whom their authorities had crucified. Peter grasped the opportunity to preach a message about the Christ of Nazareth. And he begins to tell them that it's the same Christ whom they had crucified. Well, such dangerous preaching could not be tolerated. And the Jews had Peter and John arrested. No good deed goes unpunished. Well, I can imagine what happened to those guys at night. As they lay their head on a non-pillowed bed with no mattress. Can you imagine what might have been going through their spirits and through their minds? I don't know what would go through mine. Well, Lord, we were doing your work. We were doing your job. We saw a great miracle, and this is what happens. So quickly we forget. But there's a further side to this, I think. Next day, they're brought to trial. The court, obviously, is dominated in that Sanhedrin by men who had been the prime movers in the murder of Christ. But having heard the question... It's really interesting to me that the Sanhedrin, the court, brings a very mild verdict, if you think about it. As they deliver the verdict, they simply say, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Think about it. They could have said, crucify them. They could have said, you speak again in the name, you're dead. But they said, just don't speak anymore. You can go. And with such a mild verdict, one would have questioned the response that these guys gave. You see, in, in, in the chapter there, they said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's all we can do. We can do no other. We will speak. I'm impressed by this story for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I'm impressed with the way they saw this thing through so honorably. Do you recall that it's just a few days and weeks that these same men showed up so poorly at the judgment of Christ and at the crucifixion? This is the same Peter who at that night, cold as it was, went to the fire of the enemy, warmed his hands, and eventually cursed Jesus. 
This is the same men that didn't surround the cross and stand with him, only the women. There's something about this transformational event in Acts chapter 2 that made the difference. And I like what I see when God is able to change hearts so dramatically that in spite of past failure, in spite of past weakness, in spite of past uh, uh, unrecognized Christian duties and opportunities that we may have missed, the Holy Spirit of God is still able to transform us and use us if we allow him. They saw this thing through. They're changed men. The power of the Holy Spirit has changed their lives. It's changed their characters. It's changed their inner motivation. They're no longer the same. And if ever there was a day and age when the church needs to be the church that stands for the truth, it is this day and age. If ever there was a time when God needed you on the job, needed me on the job, it is this day. It is this day and age when God needs the church to be at her best. And she can only be at her best under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fresh anointing. I'm impressed with them as they see this situation through. They start right off. We, we couldn't do anything else. This is our message. See the man, he's changed. Well, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. No, you judge whether or not you, you think we should talk in his name. But as for us, we're going to talk in the name of Jesus. We're convinced it's a settled issue. That I will speak the name of Jesus. I will live out the truth of Christ in a culture that is changing daily. In a culture that says right is wrong and wrong is right. The church must be anointed so that we can stand in the truth and say I can do no other. Amen. I like the way they saw it through. Everyone that left the courtroom that day seemed to know that these peasant apostles had won the day. But not only am I impressed by the fact that these apostles saw a hard and dangerous situation through with honor. But I'm still more impressed with the ease with which they did it. It just seems I wasn't there. No one was. That's still alive. We don't know for sure. But I just somehow feel like that the Holy Spirit had done such a work. So that it just became natural. To live in the truth. To express the truth. To do the truth. To say the truth. To be the truth. It just was natural. And they did it with ease. They didn't look at each other. In my imagination, 
I don't see John and Peter looking at each other and say, well, what should we say? What's the political correct thing to say? What should we do? How should we get this so that the poles will lean the right way? What shall we do? What shall we do so we can get more people in? I'll tell you, it was settled in their hearts and they did it with ease. We can do nothing else but talk about Jesus. Well, the trial is over. They're released. And, of course, the people want to know exactly what happened. And they, they tell them. And You can see that out of that scripture reference that it was settled in their hearts. And that it was easy, as easy for them to be courageous today as it was for them to have failed in days gone by. That's the kind of life I want to live. Well, it is because of the cleansing, empowering, motivating work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I think, secondly, this story has an abiding interest for you and for me. I think it speaks to us. I think it speaks to us because we, too, have our moments of testing. My last full-time church was Washington, D.C., First Church, and, and that's nearly 20 years ago. I felt God's call to give my ministry. The Lord allowed that for almost nine years at our church in Lakeside. But in order to give my ministry, God gave me a vocation. I'll not get into that, but the vocation that I work in has the mouths of sailors. Our group is a very, very loud and boisterous type of personality, aggressive and very vocal and very profane. I just came back from a national meeting, and uh, I felt like I was the only guy there. Hard drinkers and hard talkers. But I did have one opportunity to give a witness. Thank God. And I keep praying that that will bear, witness, that that will bear fruit. But we have our testings. You live in it daily. You work in it. Maybe even family. We are tested daily, aren't we? My assistant at the office came the other day and told me that her uh, sophomore twin girls at one of the junior colleges had to write a paper defending her theory, theory, that there were only two genders. That's the kind of world we live in. We're pressed. We're pushed. We're shoved. We are ridiculed. That's the kind of world we live. These are difficult days that we should like to be able to meet each day with the same kind of victory. Personally. We stand at the forks of the road every day. What shall I do? How can I do it? We are tempted to compromise every day. We need the gallantry to follow the right 
as God gives us the understanding of the right. I think these two gentlemen, Peter and John, could have hung up the white flag and say, okay, we'll be quiet. We'll just go on living a life of silent witness. It's better to be silent and alive, giving a silent testimony, than to be dead and give no witness at all. What a theory. And I know we're not all vocal. I understand that. But I tell you what, somewhere along the line, as God allows us to live each day and encounter people, somewhere, some way, somehow, God will allow you to use your life and your words as a testimony if you have the anointing of the Spirit as you live in the Spirit. That's what the church is here for. Well, not only are we interested in these men because they saw a hard situation through with honor, but we're interested in them because they did big things with, with such beautiful naturalness. I kind of come back to that whole idea of doing it with ease. If I were to put a title on this thing, it would be easing the strain. Easing the strain of life. They did a big thing. Just so naturally. We're interested in their achievement because it's interesting to be good without too much sweat. Have you ever seen, I played basketball and some football is too small. And then I played baseball. And there were all of those guys, except in football, there were all those guys, in, especially in baseball, that played such a great game and never got dirty. I always wondered about them. I'd come out of the game after playing left field. And I'd, I mean, just in left field with no, very little activity. I'd be dirty and grass stained and messed up. And I always wondered about it, sweating a mess. I worked so hard at it. Some of these guys were just natural. And, you know, I, I, I look at these fellows, Peter and John, and I think in the same vein that somehow the Holy Spirit had come in and in a relaxed fashion changed their hearts from the inside out with all that dynamic of the clothes of fire and the mighty rushing wind and hitting the streets and all that that sounds like. And yet, the Holy Spirit gives them that internal fortitude to stand before the very murderers of Christ and say, You judge, we're going to do what we think's best. We're going to do what we think is best. And they do it with such ease and such naturalness. You see, it's called living in the flow of the Spirit of God. Religion must become natural to us, and we're interested in John and Peter because it had done so in their lives. Ten till ten. I'm supposed to be done at twelve. Is that right? Did I get that wrong? Okay. Ten till ten. We're on target. How can we hope to ease the strain? How can you and I ease the strain of holy living? In a world such as ours. I, I, I don't know too much. I haven't uh, delved into it. But that Oregon tragedy. 
reminded me of the power of the Spirit of God to enable someone to say, Yes, I'm a Christian. And in a flash, depart for eternity. I want to live that way. I want to live that way. How can I? Well, I think, first of all, we live up to our best each day. Practice makes perfect. The Apostle Paul speaks of a certain family whose members were addicted to ministering to the saints. Habits of service. Jesus' custom was to go to the synagogue. Peter and John followed in the same footsteps. They're on their way at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Daniel in Babylon could not break his habit of prayer in spite of the fiery furnace. What is the master habit of your life? For me, the master habit of life has to be prayer. And following on it, the heels, following on the heels of prayer has to be getting into the Word of God. And then very closely in the sanctuary. Master habit of tending to the affairs of my spiritual life. Understanding and knowing that it is that vertical relationship between God and me that determines the type of horizontal relationship that I have. Amen? You cannot be horizontally what you aren't vertically. You cannot be all that you need to be as a Christian until that vertical relationship is established and solid and working daily. Amen? It takes time in the prayer closet. It takes time in the devotional time. It takes prayer. It takes reading the scriptures and understanding and knowing bit by bit, piece by piece if necessary. Sometimes one verse at a time for maybe days until we get into it. Other times we can read chunks of scripture. It doesn't matter as long as that relationship becomes the master habit of our lives. But while good habits are important, most of all, and there is an extra dimension here, companionship with Jesus is most important. This was a supreme secret with these disciples. And that is the first verse that we read on the screen. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Several years ago, they had met Jesus. They joined his fellowship. The more they followed him, the more they became like him. The more they learned about him, the more they loved him. They saw him as he went through the turmoils of life, all the while easing the strain, being good without a lot of sweat. And I would remind you that there was really only one time, it appears, that Jesus ever sweat. And that was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. As the scriptures say, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Why? For the sins of all the world, past, present, and future. And that's us. 
Everywhere else, Jesus walks in the power of the Spirit. He does the things that the Father tells him to do. And he does it with ease. And he is able to transfer that same power to his disciples. Upon the day of Pentecost, in the giving of the Holy Spirit, when after their intercession, when after their collective prayers together, can you imagine ten days? Can you imagine? Getting to that point where God has all of me and I have all of him. No more Ed Felter. It's him. And the Holy Spirit came and transformed them. They walked with Jesus, may I remind you. And they, I'm sure knew what they wanted, and they didn't know for sure. And finally the word came from Jesus. He said, it's imperative that I go. Oh, you can't go. We're following you. Oh, it's expedient that I go. Because if I go, I'll give you my spirit. So you'll not only live with me, but I will live within you. That makes the difference. Their lifestyle became one of easing the strain. They lived with Jesus. Now Jesus lives within them. I used to think, uh, as I was younger, about couples that I had known or would know, encounter. They'd been married 40, 50 years. And I'd go home and I'd say, I met this most interesting couple. My wife said, what about them? I said, they even talked alike. They, they even kind of looked alike. Well, how long were they married? Forty-five years. Well, that makes a difference, doesn't it? I guess it does. You know what? June 18th, my wife and I just had our 50th anniversary. Now, I can't say that I look like her. She's better looking than me. And I can't say that I, I talk like her because she's smarter than me. But I do know this, that we've come to the point. After all these years, it's not a question of whether or not I'm staying with her. And I can't answer for her, but I think she's on the same wavelength. It's just a done deal. I'm walking life with her. It's a done deal. I can do no other. You see. And so we become like each other in a sense, having grown together. The apostle said it this way, we beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. A little poem. A Persian fable says, one day, a wanderer found a piece of clay, so redolent of sweet perfume, its odor scented all the room. What art thou, was the quick demand, art thou some gem from Samarkand? 
or spikenard rare in the rich disguise or other costly merchandise? No, I'm but a piece of clay. Well, then, whence this wondrous sweetness, pray? Friend, if the secret I disclose, I've been dwelling with a rose. You get it? Something like that happens to us when we live with him who is the rose of Sharon. When we walk with him and we come to that place, say, Lord, none of me and all of you. The mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit birthed the church in Acts chapter 2. But subsequently, there were fresh outpourings and anointings of the Holy Spirit upon his people. I'm asking God, and perhaps you would join with me, for a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon Mission Church, upon me. That it'll be all of him, none of us, except that because of the cleansing, infilling power of the Spirit, we also find the motivation to walk out of the room and hit the street. Amen. You may know somebody. I know some people for whom I'm praying. I'll meet with some people this week. And I pray always that God will give me wisdom for my job. But also attractiveness of spirit. That that person who sits on the other side of the desk will know. He's been with Jesus. I'm going to ask our team to come. Prepare for the close of the service. I read somewhere this week in preparation. Someone said, I trust it's true. It seems to be. God never fills what he hasn't already cleansed. Maybe there's. Something in my life and yours that needs to be confessed. Maybe we just need to say, Lord, give me a new sense of direction. Change my attitude. Change my habits. Change me. So that it's all of you. So that like that piece of clay, somebody this week will know. That I've been with the rose of Sharon.